0: good news good news good news welcome to this good news friday edition of the bottom line show i'm roger Marshall. boy do we have good news for you as a matter of fact you know one of the things that i uh i've always appreciated about the good news friday programs is the number of people who like to call in people like to win things on a good news friday it's a holiday weekend memorial day coming up on monday by the way i want to encourage you to tune into the bottom line show on monday uh, we've recorded a program for you. I mean, the staff here has the day off, and so um, I could just, you know, do a bunch of uh, you know other type of programming. <laughs> but every year, when it comes to holidays, I like to take the holiday itself and give you a little background on why we celebrate it, how it came to being. But then also try to find some other aspects of the holiday that you may not know of. I, I like to call this missed history. And um, it, when it comes to Memorial Day, a lot of people have a tough enough time trying to figure out the difference between Memorial Day and Veterans Day and uh, Armed Services Day, which we just had. I think it was like the twentieth or something like that of May. And the the way you can remember, I mean, the easy way to remember the difference between Veterans Day and Memorial Day is Memorial Day is when we remember everyone who paid the penalty or the or the price, I should say, for serving our nation. It's not a penalty. I mean, you wind up paying with your life. But they they Paid the ultimate price to protect our freedom. So anyone who died in combat is who we remember on Memorial Day. Now, originally it was, well, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Originally it started out with the Civil War and then it kind of uh, jumped up into uh, other wars, and now it's anybody who died in military conflict. And then Veterans Day is the day we serve and celebrate people who have either been in the, we remember their uh, service for people who've been in the armed forces, or we honor those who are retired, or we celebrate those in active duty. So just remember, Memorial Day is when we remember. But Memorial Day wasn't always called Memorial Day. And Monday, I'm going to get into that, do a whole analysis, balance, and clarity on why we celebrate the holiday and where it came from as far as its roots go. And you know, it's one of those missed history stories where If you don't know the history, you know, everybody gets all patriotic red, white, and blue on Memorial Day, obviously. And it should be. But the origins of where it came from, well, it kind of, I think it helps bring people closer together, especially when it comes to the racial divide in our country. I'll just put it that way all right now good news friday today this hour we have a lot of free stuff to give away i mean maybe we'll call it a good news freebie day or something like that because we have books we have music uh new artist to my uh, world anyway a guy by the name of jimmy Cravity, uh, has a new praise album out called the last amen the title song is a duet that he did with matt redmond you know here i am to worship bless the lord oh my soul you know ten re- thousand th- those are matt Redman songs That title track, The Last Amen, features Matt along with Jimmy. Jimmy's going to join me at the bottom of the hour to talk about the new album, working with Matt, and uh, we have five copies of the album to give away, but we're giving them away digitally. Okay, so you can start dialing in now if you want to get one of these albums. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We have five copies of the brand-new Jimmy Kravity album uh, his uh, that features his duet with Matt Redman. And um, it's called The Last Amen. These are digital, kind of like with the Dennis Wilson movie where we sent you a link for the screener of the film and then you just kind of click it on watch it on your computer or smart TV or smart device. Uh, that's what we have here. Is these are digital downloads. And then in terms of books, well, we got a book, a uh, bound book to give you that's going to be a ton of fun for you to enjoy, uh, especially if you're getting into the summer, if you have kids or grandkids in particular, and you want to be able to converse with them and speak their language. Their language, of course, is love. It's spending time together, and it's telling silly jokes. And I have three copies of a great book on jokes for kids by a kid uh, called You're Joking Me, and we're going to talk with the author of that book who just happens to be 11 years old uh, coming up just around the corner. First, though, this is no joke when we talk about the history of uh, our, our Christian faith and how many people would say it's old, it's outdated, it's antiquated, um, it does, it's not relevant, or it's a fairy tale and you can't really prove it. You, how many times have I said this before? Every time you get old boy here, you and me know who that is, that's me, and I have another opportunity for you to uh, take a look at things from a biblical worldview and it involves biblical archeology. span finding something that we need to have, you know, some kind of verifiable proof for. There is more and more proof each and every day that the Bible is what it says it is, that it verifies itself. And the the proof that we have is, I I think God really enjoys this. If you've ever gone on a treasure hunt or a scavenger hunt, how much fun it is to, you know, unearth something. You see these people with, uh, you know, metal indicators walking up and down the shore if you're on the East Coast or the beach if you're in California. And trying to find something that got buried. Um, maybe it was a family memento that uh, the only you way know, we we're going to bury it under this tree then the tree gets unearthed the next thing you know there it is or, or a time capsule. Those are always fun. I remember uh, having been a lifelong Southern Californian and specifically most of my life an Orange County guy though now I'm an Inland Empire guy. Um, I remember working for KYMS radio back in the 1980s and somehow we got on the uh, Orange County Centennial Commission. Orange County, was, Orange County, California, was founded in 1889. And so in 1989, they did a big hundredth anniversary. They did, a, and there was a time capsule at the old courthouse. And it was kind of fun to be there. And they unearthed it. I mean, it, it wasn't buried in the ground per se. They literally uh, had a big section of the courthouse, like around where the cornerstone would have been, on one corner of the building, and they took off this special stone and pulled out the time capsule and pulled out newspaper clippings and other things from 100 years ago. It was a ton of fun. That was 100 years old. How would you like to have a copy of God's Word, the Bible, that is considered to be the earliest and most complete rendition of this Bible and have it on display and then put it up for auction? Sotheby's in Manhattan, world-famous art auction facility, uh, recently sold something called the Codex Sassoon. It's the oldest, most complete Hebrew Bible known to man. Now, there is another one, another Bible uh, that has a slightly, it's a little bit older, or excuse me, be a little bit newer, rather, and a lot more complete. But you're talking about uh, a Bible that is, you know, maybe a thousand years old or so, and it has a few more chapters in it. It's not completely complete, but nonetheless, um, the, uh, the Sassoon 1053 has fewer chapters of the Bible included. Uh, it is far more complete than something called the Aleppo Codex, but the Leningrad Codex is, uh, basically entirely complete. So here's the, the, uh, the order. You've got the Sassoon 1053 is the oldest and most complete. It is more complete than the Aleppo Codex, which is about the same age. The Leningrad Codex was uh, around 1150 AD, so it's about 100 years uh, younger, if you will, than the Sassoon. They say the Leningrad, or those who have it, say it's an entirely complete copy of the Bible. The Codex Sassoon The one that was recently auctioned off, has 24 books of the Bible that are divided into sections like the Pentateuch, the Prophets, the Writings. Um, It it has about 15 chapters missing, which is not bad. I mean, when you consider it's divided into 24 books, where now the modern Bible and the Old Testament is divided to 39. And there are 15 chapters that aren't there, including there are 10 from the book of Genesis. And yet, It is the oldest and most complete Bible in Hebrew. And um, (laughs) are you ready for the price tag? It was just auctioned off to a group called American Friends of ANU, uh, the Museum of the Jewish People. It will be donated to a museum in Tel Aviv, be part of the main collection, and it only cost $38.1 million. Oh, my goodness. We know the Word of God is valuable. There's no question about that, but um, this is yet another one of those proofs that I just mentioned. Three different texts that go back in this, you know, when, when we talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls and how they authenticate scripture, remember a lot of the books of the Bible that have representation in the Dead Sea Scrolls have some because of a fragment, literally a piece of paper that might fit in the palm of your hand where you can read a couple of sentences from it, or maybe a, a sentence or a couple of words that are used, do some cross-referencing and say, oh, that's from Hebrews, or oh, that's from, you know, whatever it is. This, we're talking about complete books of the Bible. And the way the Bible was originally organized into 24 books of the Old Testament instead of uh, 39. And the it's the original. So it's the OG version. 38.1 million dollars. Man, that sounds like it's almost too good to be true. And yet, can you imagine this kind of story? A priest, a rabbi, and a pastor walk into a synagogue and they want to look at the Hebrew Bible. Bo- okay, that. Okay, that. I don't know how to tell a joke. I, just, <laughs> I wish I did, but honestly do not. But fortunately, my next guest here on the Bottom Line Show does, in fact, know how to tell a joke. As a matter of fact, during the pandemic, He went all out to find out how many jokes he could either write or compile, put together, and then he was able to publish a book of his jokes. William Daniel will be joining me next. He's the author of a book called You're Joking Me, Jokes for Kids by a Kid. And if you have grandkids and you want to be able to cut them up with those, oh, grandpa, that really, like, what happens when snowmen get nervous? They get cold feet. What's a golfer's favorite drink? Tea. Yeah, you get the idea. William tells him much better than I do. He's going to join me on the other side of this break to talk about his brand new book. And we're going to give you a chance to win. We've got one, not one, not two, but three copies. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line. Well, today on The Bottom Line, we're going to take a step back a little bit, catch our breath collectively, and maybe even let out a a guffaw or do a little joking around a little bit. Uh, Came across a a publicity piece from an author by the name of William Daniel, who I was not familiar with his work up until this point. And then all of a sudden I began to read this thing. I said, wait a minute, this is really great because this is a book of just jokes, collection of fun stories, puns, things like that. But the thing that makes it so unique is it comes from the perspective of kids telling the jokes as opposed to dads like me trying to tell the jokes too. William Daniel is a sixth grader. He's a World War II enthusiast and he's the author of a brand new book called You're Joking Me, Jokes for Kids by a Kid. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. William Daniel, welcome to The Bottom Line Show.
1: Thank you. Yeah.
0: Okay. First question I have to ask you, would your parents say that you're funny?
1: I would, I would say that they think I'm funny because um, I, I do tell a lot of jokes around the dinner table.
0: Yeah, are you the are you the one in the family that has to keep things light because everything's a little too intense, and you've got sister and mom and dad and you know that type of stuff, and somebody has to cut the tension.
1: Yep, that that would most likely be me. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um, let's talk about the book because I mean it's one thing to say I know a lot of jokes. It's something else to say, how do we put all these jokes together and, you know, put it into book form? When did the idea for writing this book, you're joking me, jokes for kids by a kid, actually come to fruition?
1: Well, it came through during uh, quarantine, actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, My mom, also my agent, said that, hey, one day you could write a book um, because she's done it in the past. She has experience. Mm -hmm. She's an agent. Uh, She knows how it works. So I thought, you know what, this would be great for me to share my jokes because that's what I love doing.
0: Mm-hmm. And so the process begins of instead of just walking around and cracking up your sisters or annoying your mom and dad, you have to sit down like any writer does and say, well, wow, I have a job now. I mean, you're already a competitive gymnast. It's not like you don't have stuff to do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> William Daniel, how, where, how did you how much time did it take? Uh, how did you fit time into your schedule to put this all together? Was there anything that kind of surprised you about that process?
1: Well, actually, um, it's interesting. It took me about a year and a half to come up with all the jokes. Mm -hmm. And how I did it was I basically any time, whether it was uh, I'd be sitting down, uh, eating breakfast, uh, waiting to go to school, and I'll come up with a joke. I kind of just came up with them on the spot, and then I would write them down. Um, But sometimes, you know, near the end, I had a few more jokes that I needed to come up with. And so I'd sit down and take a look around me and think of some jokes.
0: I think this is great. William Daniel is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. He's the author of the book, You're Joking Me, Jokes for Kids by a Kid, Burst Out Laughing. It's part of the uh, that series. And we've got a link for the book up at the thebottomlineshow.com. And I was drawn to this because I've heard it from my kids, and uh, I'm sure that you've showed it to your Mom and dad, too, especially the proverbial dad joke that just doesn't really land. I mean, we think they're funny, we think they're clever, but they're really not. Um, can you break off a couple of jokes for us, William? I mean, give us an idea of what we're in for when we get a hold of your book.
1: Of course, yeah. Um, this is one joke that I like. What is the best thing about a job designing barns?
0: What is the best thing about a job designing barns? I don't know. What?
1: It's stable.
0: Oh no! Ouch! That was okay. Okay, fair enough. That that's good. How about... Lay another one on me because I'm going to use all these on my kids over Thanksgiving.
1: All right, all right. What or um? Why was the pig mad at his computer?
0: Why was the pig mad at his computer? I don't know why.
1: He had spam mail
0: okay okay those are just two of the 400 jokes and puns that you're going to find in this book by william daniel you're joking me jokes for kids by a kid which is up at the bottom line you had to i mean you not only have you've got two sisters including your one of your sisters you guys are twins right i mean so that i'm sure that's tons of fun to have a twin sister same birthday share everything hopefully your parents don't dress you alike
1: no they don't no
0: good (laughs) that's good yeah and you and you all have your own things that you do too i mean i mentioned you're a a competitive gymnast i mean what about your sisters do they have other areas of life that they pursue as well
1: um both of my sisters are actually gymnasts as well um but my twin sister uh is writing a book of her own really Um, for teen yeah it's for teen girls um talking about friendships
0: wow Wow. Well, see, this is what happens, ladies and gentlemen, when mom is an agent and a publicist and she understands this world. And every time you talk to anybody, she'll say, that would make a really great book. But isn't it encouraging? (laughs) Well, William isn't encouraging, though, because she does know the business to to know that your mom was shooting straight with you when she said you know what I think your jokes are funny and I think there's a market for this this has got to be such a like a graduate level experience for you in terms of learning about the marketing learning about the discipline of writing for how many kids see somebody on TV or hear a radio interview like this and they think wow I could do that you know I mean I think that would be uh it would, it would be tons of fun but it is a lot of work a year and a half you said it took you to put all these jokes together
1: year and a half yes
0: Wow, that's incredible. I mean, what, but what was the toughest part of it? I mean, because I'm sure at some point you're like, yeah, I know these jokes. Did you have a set number? Did Were you thinking it's got to be 200, 300, 400? What, what, what was your uh, – because, you know, the the old adage is writing is never done. It's just due. So, you know, how did you know when you'd hit the right – you know, the sweet spot and this was going to be enough to publish as a book?
1: Well, originally uh, the publisher told me kind of what they wanted uh, around – 450, 500, or some some number like that. And so I would split it apart each day. I would say, okay, this day I'm going to try to come up with five jokes. Um, the next day I'll come up with five jokes. Maybe the next day I'll come up with seven. Um, I'll split it apart, basically. that's That was my whole system going into it.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you ever run the risk of uh, trying to develop something that really was kind of a stretch and you had to say, you know what, I'm not going to do this. I mean, eventually, was it the publisher who determined which of these jokes was actually going to make to the press, or was it your family? Uh, was it your twin sister by whom you are older, I think, for four or five minutes? I mean, so you get to lord that over her that you're her big brother?
1: Actually, I am the youngest. <laughs> oh, you're the youngest. I, I, I read that I, backwards. I, I have...
0: Okay, so she's older than you that's, by five that's minutes.
1: That's fine, that's fine. Okay, um, okay. Yeah, there, there were quite a few that I would just going to kind of get stuck on, and i think. Yeah, I I don't really see any way that this could carry on. Uh sometimes I would come up with a joke in my head, um mm-hmm. but when I said it out loud, it just did not sound right and of course, you know, I I was probably the first one to think, "Ooh, yeah, th- this won't this won't make it in." Um mm-hmm. but my family had a a few that they're like, "Yeah, I don't I don't get it." Um, and I'm like, <laughs> "Okay, yeah." <laughs> Well, they love another one. Yeah,
0: they love you enough to tell you the truth, William. And I think that's great. William Daniel Daniel is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, a sixth grader who is the author of a brand new book called You're Joking Me, Jokes for Kids by a Kid. We have a link for the book up at TheBottomLineShow.com. A couple minutes left in our conversation, William. uh, And this is a time when families are going to be together. And invariably, there's going to come that point where someone's going to want to crack a joke or just kind of break the ice on something like this. Talk about um, how we in the older set, I'm a grandpa. So, I mean, I, I realized that these are jokes I would love to kind of swap out with my, my grandchildren as well. I know you wrote this yep. book for kids and it's jokes for kids by a kid. How can we as parents and grandparents use this
2: book? Uh,
1: that's a good question. Um, I wrote this book for kids because I know that kids need a good laugh, but you know, so, so do adults. Um, adults also need a good laugh. Um, and a good way to use this is maybe sit around in a circle or maybe uh, during holiday dinners or something, mm-hmm. maybe just read out a few jokes and see what people think.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I, I like that because it's way better than talking about politics because, you know, that just that, – yeah. that drives families apart. I'd much rather say, well, let's see. There's 10 of us here. There's 400 jokes in here. Let's go around, find your favorite and, and see. Now – Do you give, I have to ask this too, because you know people, and I know people too, William Daniel, who don't have a funny bone. And so when they do try to tell a joke or something like that, they just don't do it. I'm trying to be polite, but okay, they stink at it, right? They're just really bad joke tellers. Mm -hmm. Did you have, do you have like a style page at the back, a little epilogue? Here's how the best way to actually tell these jokes. Because if someone says, hey, what happens when a pony gets hoarse and they sing? No, wait, oh wait, let me try that one again. Um, you know, they, they mess up they, they just can't tell a joke to save their life. Do you offer any style uh suggestions as well, William Daniel?
1: Um Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's that's funny. Um I don't have a section. Um maybe maybe in book two. I'll
0: add That's what I like to hear. You're joking me book two is already in the works. He's already thinking about this and he'll come up with a style yep, section. Yep yeah that's right ever the marketer i think that's great hey tell us about your uh your uh your competitive gymnastics i mean it sounds like it's a lot of fun uh what events do you compete in and where do you see that taking you right now i mean you're in sixth grade it's kind of fun but are you heading for college and the olympics with that
1: um you know i'm not really sure how far i'm going to get in gymnastics um it's so far you know I'm, I'm liking it It's it's really fun i do compete all six events uh, floor, high bar, parallel bars, pommel horse, uh, rings, and um, <laughs> vaults.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Those are mm-hmm. the, the main six that you do in men's gymnastics. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, who knows? If the riding thing uh, takes off and goes well, then perhaps the gymnastics will have to take a back seat. But until then, it is possible, ladies and gentlemen, for our kids and grandkids to do lots of things when they're growing up, try different things, whether it's athletic or artistic and uh, and have a very well-rounded and complete life in the process. William Daniel, uh, the sixth grader, who is the author of the brand-new book called You're Joking Me, Jokes for Kids by a Kid. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. William, congratulations on the book, and thank you so much for spending time with us today here on The Bottom Line.
1: Yep. Thank you.
0: Well, all righty. You heard about how great this book is. Now, don't just take my word for it. Get a copy. We've got three of them that we're giving away right now. And of course, the book is linked at TheBottomLineShow.com. You're Joking Me, Jokes for a Kid by a Kid by William Daniel. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. This is a great resource to have for your kids or grandkids, but especially, I think about me, I got grandkids who are developing smart humor and I need to keep up with them. This is a book that I want to have and I want you to have it too. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, why is laughter so important? Is it really the best medicine? We'll talk about that briefly coming up next as the bottom line continues. or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services for simply better alternatives. My thanks again to William Daniel, the youngest author we've ever had on the Bottom Line Show, talking about his brand new book called You're Joking Me, Jokes for Kids by a Kid. We've got not one, not two, but three copies of this book to give away right now. And I'd love to place it in your hands. Crystal, standing by, and she won't even ask you to tell her a joke to get through. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Whenever I think about laughter, I think of my departed friend, Donna Decation, is with the Lord right now. Donna and I worked together many years ago at the great KYMS, and she always had a big smile on her face, and she was always kind of chuckling a little bit. She was very serious and very intent. But I asked her why she had such a good mood, and she said, Roger, don't you know that when you laugh, every muscle in your body relaxes? I just like to think of it as God tilling the soil of my heart for the seeds he wants to sow in there. Laughter is great medicine, and this book will help you laugh as well. The link is up at TheBottomLineShow.com. As we continue, a musical guest joining us, Jimmy Cravity, talking about his brand new album, The Last Amen, which debuts today. Jimmy's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues.
2: Don't believe your insurance company is looking out for you. They're not. They want you to call them after you're in an accident, but you shouldn't handle that alone. That's where Stephanie Cover of Cover Law shines. With 20 years of insurance industry experience, she knows all the angles and will fight for your rights. Insurance companies pretend to be your partner, but in reality, their primary goal is to pay you as little as possible. When you work with Cover Law, Stephanie becomes your negotiator, and the insurance companies must talk to her, not you. You need to rest and heal. Stephanie is different from other attorneys. She's fully invested in your legal, medical, financial, emotional, and spiritual needs. After an accident, you don't want to deal with insurance adjusters who want to minimize your payout. So don't wait. Contact Cape Bright's personal injury attorney today at com slash Cover Law. You won't pay a dime to talk to someone who truly cares about your healing.
0: Well, today here on The Bottom Line, very special edition of Good News Friday, simply because it's not every day we get an artist to join us on the program who is a current artist. I mean, sometimes we have a lot of the classic rockers who come on. But then who has a new album out and that today's the day of the album release? Well, we've got all of those rolled up into one. And if you're watching on My Hope now, you get a chance to watch as well as listen to Jimmy Cravity is a new artist to us, has a brand new album, The Last Amen, which is up at TheBottomLineShow.com and has a very special guest. He features on that song in particular. Jimmy Cravity, welcome to The Bottom Line Show.
4: Well, thank you so much, Roger. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: I I heard that song when it first came out about a month and a half ago, and I really just enjoyed it. It was just fun. You get it right away. Talk about what it is uh, with music ministry. How'd you get started? How'd you get into it? You know, how did God lead you down this path?
4: Sure, sure. I uh, started off as a musician, as a cellist in the orchestra, uh, middle school orchestra, and I heard the sound of like. electric guitar and fell in love with that. Around that same time, I uh, found Jesus uh, at a high school camp, Mount Harmony Baptist Church, uh, Mm. summer camp down in Florida. Love it. And uh, it was a fantastic time. And around that time, I started as a musician, writing songs, developing, uh, learning music. And so since that time, I felt a strong uh, calling toward the arts and uh, to use the creativity that was within. That's within. Uh, To create art that could connect with others and hopefully glorify God and lead others to seeing him and savoring him.
0: I love that. And especially just kind of it makes me smile a little bit to hear your journey from cello to electric guitar. I mean, that's that's not the, the familiar path, I think, for some people. But I, people don't realize that when you see a musician who's a singer, or instrumentalist or whatever, oftentimes you do play many instruments and you've got right. a lot of different talents. Um, you started but your first real recognition, from what I understand, you're a performer now, but you, you kind of had some behind the scenes success as a writer of songs talk talk about that yeah
4: i've always loved writing songs and i feel like as a guitar player um, i started playing electric guitar then started playing acoustic guitar And acoustic guitar naturally lent itself to writing songs. And so I've been blessed to be able to write songs for some of the passion albums, been blessed to write songs for uh, some mainstream artists, some Christian artists as well. Uh, Just recently, last year, I was out on tour on the Kingdom tour with Maverick City because I wrote three songs for the opening act there. Faith City Music, who's on Tribal Records, wrote three songs for their album. I've collaborated with some guys, uh, collaborated with Toshikov's Leonard on a song, collaborated with um, Usher, uh, Ludacris, all different types and styles of different types of artists. And uh, on some of those songs I wrote on some of them, I was just an artist uh, singing on it. And so that's been kind of the the entryway point into the music industry was as a songwriter some of my songs have been licensed by netflix facebook hulu uh those different uh, outlets and so it's been a it's been a beautiful journey so far.
0: Yeah, and it's it's kind of fun talking to Jimmy Kravity today here on The Bottom Line about his brand-new album, The Last Amen, which we have a link for, and it's out today. Uh, we got the link up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's always interesting to see what goes on behind the scenes. I'm that guy, you know, who my, my wife knows now. If we go to a movie or something like that, she knows just get extra popcorn. We're going to watch the credits. We want to see yes. who wrote the songs, who <laughs> the musicians are. And uh, you never know. Which brother or sister in Christ worked on a film, you know that you're watching, and you say, "Hey, this is incredible! Good for you!" And I'm I'm so happy to to hear that you've been you know slugging away at it. Um, you have had you know some really great successes in the music industry, but I know you've also uh, uh, really had to bear the brunt of some some challenges in your own personal life, especially. Talk about uh, some of the things that uh, some tragedies even that have happened sure. in your world that have kind of informed who you are right now and are. Sure, Sure.
4: Research. I could, I could share a little bit about that. Sure. Um, uh, years ago, uh, my firstborn son's name is Britton. I was on the road, uh, with passion and helping out with some of the production there. And I got a call saying, you know, uh, had to go to the doctor emergency room. He's been diagnosed with cancer. Hmm. And it's one of those calls that you never, ever want to get Right. Um, Right. uh, But God was right there with us in the midst of that trying time. Eventually, we went through rounds of uh, chemotherapy and and rounds of treatment and hoping and praying for the best and praying for a miracle on this side of Earth. And um, it was eventually, you know, Britain went on to be with the Lord. Mm. And I think Mm. uh, as a bereaved parent, um, it's something that you never really want to experience. Right. Um, but the beauty of it, I would say, uh, the there was beauty in the midst of tragedy. There was still a sense of hope in the midst of grief, uh, still a sense of comfort in the midst of pain. And so I feel that, uh, that happened, um, you know, that's been years removed. Um, that happened in 2014 and I was releasing a song. I released a whole EP called heaven which that time um, seasoned the songs during that time. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, it's beautiful because uh, there's a passage in the scriptures that says he will give you a beauty for ashes. Yes. uh, Yes. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness, um, you know, gladness instead of mourning. And I feel that that has become, And it's still becoming a real reality within my life. And Mm -hmm. uh, life is the ups and downs. It's the battle and the blessings. It's the, you know, it's the height and the depths. And so that was a real tragic time in my life. But I'm thankful that God was there with me.
0: Mm. Boy, I I can't imagine, and yet uh, you see how God has used it. I mean, ultimately, your son has received healing in heaven, which is spectacular. And you have the same heart that God has now of saying, I know what it's like to watch my son you know, leave this earthly existence. And, and, and I'm sure that informs your music after a series of successful EPs and writing for other people in the background, you now have this full length album that's coming out. It's dropping today, as they say in the industry, Tell yes. me about the, tell me about the last day men. Tell me about that title track. How did you and Matt Redman come together?
4: Yeah, uh, Matt and I, we've known each other for a few years, just based on work that we've done in the industry. Um, and I've seen Matt around. We we both spent some time at Passion, and uh, that, I think that was the introduction. But we've kept in contact over the years. About a year and a half ago, I reached out and said, hey, I'm in California now. Could we get together and, and write some songs? And Matt was so gracious, and he had me come down to Orange County, and we wrote some songs there. We wrote two songs off the album. One of them he's featured on, The Last Amen. When we got into the sessions to, and into the studio, you know, writing the song, uh, we were thinking, I, I came with this idea of Jesus Christ is talking to the church in Revelations 3, and he says, I am the beginning and the end. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the right. faithful and true witness. I'm the Amen. Some translation says, I'm the final Amen. And so, you know, creatively or poetically, I was thinking, you know, instead of final, I thought, oh, what if we say the last Amen? Mm. and that kind of stuck with me and that, that theme has stuck with me for a while. And so I brought that and we just kind of hammered away at that idea for an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. Then we had a song, uh, the last day, man, it was a real pleasure. I think Matt has had so many contributions to the church, uh, globally that it's been so inspiring. and I really enjoy, uh, what his contributions to music have really inspired me over the years And so it was a dream come true to be able to write with him and then also have him featured on the song. Yeah. Uh, The album, I would say, is exploration in Christian imagination. And I would say it is a soundtrack for the spiritual adventure of following
0: God. Amen. Amen uh, I, that, that's a great way to describe it. And something that I think Jimmy Cravity, a lot of people are looking for right now is the idea that there's been you know such an upheaval in the world. people are looking for that foundation. and yet at the same time they realize, hey, I'm still on this journey. I'm still walking. I was talking we had Emilio Estevez on the program a couple of weeks ago talking about his movie called The Way. And he said, yeah, I think this is where a lot of people are. Their walk of faith really is a pilgrimage. And, mm. and, and we need to have that kind of song of redemption, that song of hope, that song of encouragement that's playing in the background. And Jimmy Kravity's album is one that I would highly recommend. Uh, we're talking with Jimmy Kravity today here on The Bottom Line about the album, The Last Amen. It is available today. And yes. we're going to be giving away some streams for this album uh, as, at the conclusion of our conversation here. Jimmy, what is your hope this i mean it's now i mean it's like it's here today's release day you're super excited about it uh what what is your hope you know now that you've put all this time all this effort all the blood sweat and tears as it is to make this thing a reality what are you hoping that god will do with this project i hope that god will take
4: this project to the ends of the earth for his glory and that he would use it to inspire many um and that through it, people would feel a real tangible sense of the presence of God and who God is. And, and I hope that through these songs, people would feel encouraged and inspired, uplifted in their soul. And that, that if for those that don't know, um god and having put their faith their trust in him i pray that it would get them closer to that that they would Amen. come to a point uh, of that and for those that do i pray it would help them to draw closer to to ponder what god could do with their lives to ponder who god is to to uh really really you know get it you know just connect with god you know it it um uh, I'm thinking of the Apostle Paul when he's at Mars Hill and he's talking to the philosophers and he says, um, you know, God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he (laughs) gives to man life and breath and all things. He's in all things. So I want people to see the sovereignty, the providence, uh, the beauty of God, how he's in everything. And so that's that's my hope. I hope people feel encouraged and inspired. That's greater than any sales. That's greater than any number one. That's greater than any accomplishment commercially. As if people are inspired and uplifted by it, then I already feel encouraged.
0: Amen. Amen. I couldn't put that any better. And I'm grateful to hear your heart and give you the opportunity to share with our listeners, Jimmy Cravity, about this brand new album, The Last Amen, title song features a duet with Jimmy and Matt Redman. uh, And you're going to love this record. Uh, We've got... uh, well, we've got the link for the album up at the show.com and we're going to be giving away a few downloads of it in just a moment. But before we do that, I just want to say, Jimmy, thank you. It's been great to get to know you, brother. Uh, yeah. God's richest blessings to you and your family as you move forward in this new season with this new album. And thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line.
4: Thank you so much, Roger. It's been a complete pleasure to share uh, the information about this album, share a little bit about my journey. Thank you
0: so much. Well, i it's nice to get to meet Jimmy Cravity and to hear about his work with Matt Redmond and this brand new album, The Last Day Men, is out today. We have five downloadable copies of the CD, of the album collection, and we want to give them to you. See, this is a great Good News Friday, right? Because we're just giving away stuff like crazy. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, Jimmy Cravity's new uh, album is called The Last Amen. The title track features his work with Matt Redmond of uh, 10,000 reasons, bless the Lord, oh my soul, you know that. Here I am to worship, old school. And uh, Matt and Jimmy have a couple of collaborations on this record that you'll like. The whole album is good. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, worshiping is important and having a sense of humor, definitely important as well. But there are many people around the world whose uh, joy in the Lord is tempered by the fact that the government wants to shut them down and they're forcing their churches to meet underground or meet in the homes. Well, as we continue, I have some good news out of one theocracy with a Muslim majority where Christians have really been uh, kind of taking it, you know, on the knees uh, with regard to trying to meet at house churches. And a recent court ruling gives us cause for rejoicing with regard to house churches in Iran. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. My thanks again to contemporary Christian music artist, Jimmy Cravity j-i-m-i and then c-r-a-v-i-t-y uh, for joining me today here on the bottom line today is release day for his uh, brand new album called the last amen it features matt redmond of uh, uh, here i am to worship fame on a couple of tracks and we have five copies of the album to give away now these are de- it's a, a downloadable cd so you call us 800-227-5278 five winners are going to get links for the album and then you can download it play it on your mobile device play it in the car play wherever you want to 800 227 800 227 800 227 is the number to get you through to the bottom line jimmy Cravity's new album the last amen have a link for it up at TheBottomLineShow.com, and we're giving away five downloadable CDs of the album. would love for you to have it. And if you want to win something, you're going to win. By the way, we still have copies of William Daniels' book we're giving away. William, the 11-year-old author who wrote the book, You're Joking Me, Jokes for Kids by a Kid. And if you're a grandparent getting ready for the summer and you're going to have time with the grandkids and they're going to come over and you want to be the coolest grandparent around, you want this book. Uh, we've got three of them to give away as well, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. It is Good News Friday here on the Bottom Line Show, and the first eight people who call are going to win something. It's going to keep Crystal busy, um, but please you know, give us a call. Let us know where you're listening. Are you listening on AM radio? Are you listening online? Uh, we have people who listen all over the country on the app. Uh, and The app, I mean by the k app, the KCBC app, the My Hope Now app. Um, I think, KLD, does KLDC have one as well, or maybe KLTT? Anyway, uh, listen on the app if you can't get us on terrestrial radio. But we will ask you that question just because we're curious, because we know that the auto industry is getting ready to try to get rid of the AM radio and the dashboard thing. And the, I realized uh, that the last couple of cars I've had, and they haven't been fancy cars, you know, Mazda CX-5 type of stuff. Um, this goes back to 2018, where there was an AM radio function, but it w- I mean, there was a separate function, but you had to go into the digital menu thing to find out, do you want Sirius? Do you want uh, XM? Do you want, uh, you know, whatever, the Spotify? And AM was one of the options that you got. So technically, the last, oh my goodness, i, I the last car I bought that had a quote-unquote AM radio was a 2011 Camry. Um, so uh, the, the industry is doing so for a couple of reasons, ostensibly they're doing it because they don't make any money off of AM radio or FM radio, I mean the, the manufacturers don't, um, the, back in the day when the transistor radio, that if you remember the car radios where you got in, turned on the engine and clicked on the dial and had to wait for the tubes to warm up. Yeah, that <laughs> is and then, then it came solid-state FM, and it's like, oh my goodness! You turn it on, and it's right there. Oh wow, that's incredible! Uh, yeah, those are those are good times, definitely good times. But at the the name of the game was it was kind of an understanding that the car dealers and the manufacturers wouldn't necessarily come after anybody for money because they were selling advertising, and ostensibly they were selling advertising to like if you bought a my grandmother had a Dodge. Uh, the local Chrysler Chrysler Plymouth dealer would run an ad saying, "Hey, you're in a Dodge, listening to this thing. You should come here and buy a new one." You know, <laughs> that's the way it worked. Well, now everybody gets used to being paid up front. You know, subscription fees for the Spotify's and the streaming services and Netflix, Pureflix, whatever. And it looks like they're trying to move in that direction. Well, the good news is more and more people are fighting back. The National Association of Broadcasters convention just went down in Las Vegas last week or two weeks ago. And that was, there's a huge push back from consumers that are saying, hey, don't do this to us. I mean, what about emergency broadcasting? You know, I mean, we've got 50,000 watt signals all up and down the California coast and all throughout the Midwest that carry the bottom line show. And we are, you know, in many cases, we're the lifeline for people. I know there are some who are saying, they're doing it because they're targeting Christian stations and conservative talk. Well, I mean, those are the formats that do well on am band so uh yeah that is gonna you know knock them out of out of favor but i'd say 90 percent of our audience from what we've gathered from our surveying still listen on the car at home on an am radio so um as long as you've still got your am radio in whatever vehicle or whatever you got then you're good to go you got nothing to worry about but uh Uh, Just a little sidebar as to things we could be praying for, and that's the reason why when you call 800-227-5278, Crystal or Joel or uh, Todd, whoever's answering the phones, will ask you a question about where do you listen and how do you listen. That's the reason why. Um, It is Good News Friday. We're giving away all sorts of stuff. We're going to take a break here. I I, I didn't want to just wander from one uh, good news story to the next, but I I wanted to share this next story uh, with our Bottom Line Show crowd, simply because there are more and more people I'm hearing from. I know of several people who listen to the Bottom Line Show who are part of house churches. And right now, uh, the, the house church movement in the U.S. is really not so much about religious liberty. You know, I mean, people can meet and worship wherever they want to. In some cases, it's proximity. It's just cost. You know, why spend thousands of dollars every month renting a building when you could meet in someone's home? You know, I, I totally understand that. But there will come a point as the persecution and tribulation show up where the church will be driven underground and the church will rely on the internet and the church will rely on house churches and and it's going to be really challenging and a lot of people who think they're doing ministry right now are going to say this is outrageous how am i supposed to minister without you know my television network and everything else that goes on um iran had a case come before one of their judges uh of course it's a theocracy everybody's born muslim um Branch 34 of the appeals court in Tehran had a case in front of them involving a couple that were running a house church and apparently were being brought up on charges and were facing some serious jail time because they were in this so-called home group. The ruling from the judge in the case is very encouraging and I want to share it with you uh, as we wrap up this hour of Good News Friday programming on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. lasts at least 10 years now take that cost fifteen thousand dollars and divide that by twenty five hundred okay now you begin to see how the cost for ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics make a donation right now to pre-born it's completely tax deductible and every penny every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine 833 850 baby is the number to call 833 850 2229 or go to kbrightradio.com that's k b r i t e radio.com click on the banner for preborn and make your best donation right now $25 $50 $100 it all counts towards saving babies lives kbrightradio.com hit the preborn banner right now welcome back to this good news friday edition of the bottom line show i'm roger march and so good to have you along uh, for the ride today. A good news story out of Iran uh, that is well worth uh, our noting because as we've talked about the, uh, the influx and the increase of house churches in the United States. We know that the home church is big in China, Iran, India, Iraq, places like that. And Iranian authorities had jailed a husband and wife who were running a house church. And uh, well, they're officially called a home group. Um, and have been doing so for a couple of years. Sarah Armadi is 45 years of age. Her husband, Homoryan Zaved, is 64. They both were born Islamic. They both lived the Muslim tradition for many, many years and then only, re- well, within a few years, uh, converted to Christianity. And once they did, they started a home group. And once they started a home group, that's when the authorities came after him and said, hey, you can't do this. Now, it's interesting because Iranian authorities in 2020 brought them before the court and they were sentenced to prison for having a house church. It's very interesting. Um, Ahmadi, is the, uh, Sarah, is the uh, house church leader. And she had been sentenced to 11 years in prison for, quote, founding or leading an organization that aims to disrupt national security and also membership in organizations that aim to disrupt national security. Can you believe it? I mean, this is the same type of rhetoric we're hearing. Well, the insurrectionists, you know, they all went to Capitol Hill. I mean, I know a couple people who were there. You saw a few ding-dongs crashing the doors and whatever but these guys are getting 25 year prison sentences because our democracy was at risk which it never was well that's the kind of the same type of rhetoric they used in iran sarah ahmadi and her husband formed a house church she's the leader organizer of the church she got 11 years in prison because she was convicted of founding or leading an organization that aims to disrupt national security Her husband had been sentenced to two years in prison for being a member of the group. They also had to do six months community service, a two-year ban on foreign travel, and they couldn't join any social political group. Now, uh, Mr. Zaved is currently suffering from Parkinson's disease. He's in really bad health. But basically, the couple were, they were on vacation. They were just, just outside the Caspian Sea. In June 2019, they were arrested. They were ordered to report to authorities beginning in June 2021 after being convicted in uh, November 2020, uh, but then they were turned away because of COVID, etc., cetera, et cetera. Well, now they've had an appeal and the judge has ruled that belonging to or participating in a home group with people of the same faith is not illegal. As a matter of fact, the judge wrote, the reports of the officers of the Ministry of Intelligence about organization of home groups to promote Christianity, membership and participation in home groups are not considered acts against the country's security. The law has not recognized them as criminal activity. He said that they're actually quite natural for people with common interests to want to have common experiences. So praise God for this ruling in Iran. And let's be praying for our brothers and sisters who are facing this kind of legal action all over the world, simply for the crime, quote unquote, of being Christians. Last chance to get in on the giveaways here for the Jimmy Kravity album, The Last Amen, and the William Daniels book, You're Joking Me, Jokes for Kids by a Kid, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line, five copies of the music CD, three copies of the book to give away. For our KCBC audience, Rabbi Schneider awaits you with Discovering the Jewish Jesus. Have a blessed weekend. We'll do this again on Monday. For those who remain on the network, a good news Friday story out of Texas about something controversial involving having, well, prayer back in public school. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and I hope that as we are uh, gearing up here for the warmer summer months uh, that you aren't finding things to be a little too hot under the collar where you are, especially as it involves religious liberty and things of that nature. You know, it's interesting that uh, our culture kind uh, of—my wife has an expression. She likes to say people tell on themselves all the time by the things that they will say sometimes— but also by the things that they do. And if we just pay attention, take enough time to just kind of take a step back and, and really see what's going on, not trying to make snap rash judgments in the heat of the moment, but rather just kind of take a step back and see how things are going, uh, oftentimes you begin to see a clearer picture. And that's one of the reasons I think why social media has become such a detriment in our culture is the simple reality that there are people who Uh, you know, if you spend a lot of time on social media, the nature of social media is have a quick reaction to something that's really heavy. And a lot of times I remember when uh, Steve Arterburn and I wrote the book Internet Protect Your Kids, it was released in 2007. We were writing that book in 2006. And I remember going to a seminar. Uh, It was a, a cybersecurity seminar at a local Orange County, California company back in, I think it was probably the spring or summer of 2007. It was really interesting, too, because I think I was the only person there who didn't have a smartphone. I wrote that entire book, my pardon, but anyway, using a flip phone. I did not get my first smartphone until the spring of 2010, and it was a BlackBerry at that. I remember being on this. Is, I mean, just kind of a quick little uh, <clears throat> side swipe here. I was invited to do a set visit on the set of Courageous. Remember the Kendrick Brothers movie that came out in 2011? They shot that in 2010 in Georgia, in Albany, Georgia. And I was part of a media delegation that was invited. It was a thrilling opportunity to be there. And I was lugging around a big old uh, Pro Tools unit to try to do some recording. Not one of those interviews ever saw the light of day. Everybody else was using these portable USB mics that were easy to transport. I'd never heard of any of that stuff before. I was still such a studio rat. But then on the site, you know, the iPhone had been out three, four years and everyone there checking their email, reading social media, blah, blah, blippity, blah, blah, blah. And I'm there texting people on my flip phone just because I wanted to fit in. You know, everybody else is doing stuff. I remember getting back to the hotel that evening. I raced back in and I had to catch up on a day's worth of emails it was a mess. I came home and said, I gotta get a Blackberry. I'm gonna go ahead and do that. Uh, one of the things though social media does, is social media puts you in a situation where you feel that you have the capacity to make quick decisions on big important things. Somebody posts an article, it's got a headline that you like, it's about an issue that you agree with, and you immediately like it and share it, right? Well, sometimes people don't even read the article. If you read the comments section of the article, you'll see that people oftentimes will say, I saw the headline, I saw the picture, and that's basically it. And if you read the article, you'll find out that the headline and what was written underneath it, several pages and paragraphs of information where the headline was just a teaser. Some guy at a website, a news source, whatever it was, decided to get your attention, and that's what they did. And it's just kind of the nature of the news business. So one of the reasons I love our Good News Friday segments is... One of the hallmarks of the bottom line show is something we call the ABCs or Analysis, Balance, and Clarity. And what we do with the ABC segments is we take a look at a story from a biblical worldview. Uh, then we take a look at what's happening in the world in the story to make sure we get to the nuts and bolts of it. You know, what's really happening, not just the sensational side. Then we take a look at a number of different sources. So, and, and, and by virtue of social media, there are the colored keys that you see in your, um, uh, in articles that are posted, etc., etc. And if you're looking for uh, follow-up resources, rather than having to click on 15 different websites, oftentimes there are hyperlinks within the articles, like the ones we post at thebottomlineshow.com, that give you the opportunity to do a little further reading. And so you do the analysis, what's really going on here, the balance, then take a look at different sources to see how they're, it's being reported on, and then you get the clarity that you're looking for. Of course, through the lens of scripture and with prayer, asking God to open your eyes and your hearts and your ears to what's really happening, because it doesn't do anybody any good if we just kind of perpetuate a myth. You know whether it's a conservative side or a biblical worldview crowd that gets something wrong or of course the progressive left that gets most of life wrong unfortunately Um, and so the what we're going to do here in this good news friday segment today is take a look at a bill that uh, addresses something that is an an age-old problem in the culture and that is the allowing of prayer in public schools Now, going back to 1962, or whatever it was, that Madeline Murray O'Hare and her crowd uh, mounted a concentrated effort saying that prayer uh, in public school violates the constitutional separation of church and state, which you and I both know there is no such thing as a constitutional, there's nothing in the Constitution that says there's a separation of church and state. What they're referring to is the fact that when the Constitution was written and the Bill of Rights, you know, the amendments came along, there's no establishment of a national religion in the United States. And then oftentimes what is cited is a local congregation in Virginia that wrote a uh, letter to then-President Thomas Jefferson asking him, you know, why there is no established Church of America, just like there's the Church of England, the Anglican Church, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he basically explains that we don't have, I mean, there is this wall of separation. It doesn't mean that the church can't involved, get involved in politics. Many people on the left honestly believe that there is a constitutional so-called separation of church and state and that it's a violation of the constitution for the church to do anything that involves politics. And that's why guys like coach Joe Kennedy, Bremerton, Washington, when he was taking a knee at midfield, bowing his head in silent prayer, he's an outspoken Christian, but he was not praying out loud to my knowledge uh, when the charges were filed against him saying, look, you're, you're proselytizing, you're influencing these young minds, encouraging them to pray with you, and more and more students would actually do so. It was a take a knee, bow your head, moment of silent prayer. It was a time of reflection. There were some atheist kids who did it. They said, hey, it's kind of a team-building unity type of thing. Um, Let us know there's more to life than just the game. I I thought it was a cool thing he did. Seven-year legal battle before Coach Kennedy wound up getting his job back in this fall. He'll be coaching in Bremerton High School. But it took a seven-year legal battle and our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom and Liberty Council and other places to actually make something like that a reality. That should have been a slam dunk. It never should have been a legal challenge to begin with. He has the right in the same way and Imam has the right in the same way. Uh, Hindi has a right in the same way a Muslim uh, has a right. Well, I mentioned the Imam. So the idea that kids can't pray in school, especially in public school, is something of a misnomer. Yes, there are some laws that have been passed, but I think there are a lot of people, quite frankly, who work in the academic world and the educational world who are just afraid of getting sued. And so the reason they squash a lot of in, in, any sort of uh, person of faith uh, exercising their First and Second Amendment rights is they don't want to get sued. They, they, literally, the the progressives will tie it up in court forever. I mean, the, the crabby atheist and angry humanist group that I refuse to name here on The Bottom Line Show that bring these challenges often will send a word one word or one what one word one page demand letter to a school district saying hi we represent blah 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 one of our constituents has video of one of your teachers praying or something like that and if you don't do a cease and desist we'll sue you and then the school board goes oh she got well, we're going to want to get sued so okay cease and desist without realizing that the school board has the right to say no you're crazy and 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 They have the right to pray just as you have the right to not pray. Um, This whole idea that leftism in the culture has given people the impression that one side is always right and it's always them. You know we have religious liberty in this country and religious liberty means you have the freedom to practice your religion. You also have the freedom to not practice any religion. I mean that (laughs) most people up until maybe 20-30 years ago actually understood this. They understood that just because Um, we could say, you know, America is a Christian nation founded on biblical principles that wasn't constituted as hate speech and you didn't have to shut those people down. But the left doesn't know how to engage in any sort of meaningful argument or discourse anymore. And as a result, uh, they... Uh, They just have to silence or cancel everybody who doesn't agree with them. Case in point, if you dig through the archives, if you've ever had a chance to listen to the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, I know it airs uh, on all of our bottom line show affiliates, about uh, maybe a month ago, uh, Bob Duco, who's kind of the ringleader of the group, uh, had a family commitment that kept him away from the time we recorded the podcast. And so John Rush, out of uh, our sister station, KLZ, in the Denver area, along with Neil Boron, who hosts uh, Neil Boron Live on WDCX in Buffalo, New York, and yours truly, had a spirited conversation about about a variety of different things, not the least of which was Russell Moore, the former president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist uh, Convention. Making statements on Meet the Press, about a month or so ago. He was on with Chuck Todd on NBC, and he was basically explaining why, after the Eugene Carroll verdict, Donald Trump found liable in civil court for sexual harassment, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that that he, Russell Moore, would never vote for Donald Trump, and we got into a really spirited conversation about. Um, sexual abuse and sexual predators and can you vote for a candidate that has these convictions? And, you know, whereas Bill Clinton was charged with 12 counts of sexual assault, you know, women who said that he abused them. Donald Trump has 18 of those, you know, and uh, it it went back and forth. and, and, And Neil spoke very candidly about his own personal experience about being a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. And John, very spirited conversation about the Constitution and why he wouldn't vote for Donald Trump, but he doesn't think that Russell Moore's comments were warranted. And I I really just was rejoicing as I got involved in the conversation, too, that the three of us could really sharpen iron, that we could have a conversation about things that we we could see the nuances in it, and it didn't just become a one-size-fits-all. You're all right or you're all wrong. You could see the different nuances. Religious liberty is a lot like that. And so today, uh, Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line Show, I want to take a look this half hour at a bill that has been passed in the state of Texas that would give texas public schools something that we haven't seen in public schools in a while if ever and in a country that has banned school prayer from public school classrooms do you think it's possible that the presence of a school chaplain on public school grounds would actually bring benefit even to the students who aren't of the christian faith we'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues And ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Martian. Our Analysis, Balance, and Clarity Good News Friday edition here. uh, Taking a look at a bill uh, that was passed about a month ago in the great state of Texas. And it was a party line vote. uh, Texas Senate Bill 763. If this bill does in fact get enacted, it will allow public schools to have chaplains. Now it's interesting because in the bill, I mean, what you'd have, um, you'd have a school district or an open enrollment charter school would employ or accept as a volunteer, a chaplain to provide support services and programs for students as assigned by the board of trustees of the district or the governing body of the school. Now, my daughter Emily and her husband Brian, grandson Isaac moved to Texas last year. My goodness, it's been a year since they moved to the Conroe area and Emily's a public school teacher there. Brian has a one of those IT jobs where he gets to work from home and do very well and never leave the house if he doesn't want to. So it makes it easier for them to travel back and forth to California because Brian didn't have to take time off. But Emily was noticing that when she got her first job, she's had two jobs since she's been there and they've been with different school districts. There are lots of independent school districts around. So in Texas, whereas California, Nevada, other states, they have one or two massive school districts that cover a whole bunch of different kids. In Texas, there are smaller independent school districts. So you do have the opportunity here for a smaller district to basically say, we want to do this for our kids. But you might have a school district two blocks up the road that says, we don't want to do this. But all this does It says, if the school district says, we would like to have a chaplain and make a chaplain available to provide support and services and programs for students, because the board of trustees of the district or the governing body of the school says they want to do it, they can either have a volunteer show up, or if they want to put their money, they have the right to actually put the money forth. Now, this would actually apply to the upcoming school year. It's not one of those, we'll start this in 25, 26. It starts this fall. And individual school districts then get to vote on their own as to whether or not they want to do it. According to the bill, each board of trustees of a school district and each governing body of an open enrollment charter school shall take a record vote, not later than six months after the effective date of the act, on whether to adopt a policy authorizing a campus of the district or school to employ or accept as a volunteer or chaplain, chaplain rather. Now it's interesting. The National School Chaplain Association thinks this is great. <laughs> they, they said this is super. Um, it, it's interesting. The uh, uh, the people who are opposing this um, is the Texas Freedom Network. They have a Just test Texas Faith organization. Uh, Sean Stafer is uh, Schaefer rather is uh, released the statement opposing this. And they say, quote, Texas students who are a diverse community with varied religious views and cultural practices deserve to enjoy true religious freedom at public schools without being forced to learn according to the religious rights belief system. Finding your own spiritual journey is a deeply personal one that should be guided by a child's personal connections, not forced upon them by strangers that were not directly given trust by the child or their parent. Now, I I will, let me see if I can defend that position first before Getting into the reasons why i i think this is a little short-sighted the idea that texas school systems are filled with a diverse community of kids with varied religious views and cultural practices makes perfect sense of course they are one would one would imagine that if you've got a large immigrant community there are a lot of people moving to texas from other states (laughs) california um, among others this would be the kind of thing where you look at this and say yeah you know what there's a very situation here it's very nuanced i want you to think back i'm 62 years old this year graduated from high school in 1979 and i remember what was called the baccalaureate service right around this time i mean in california we graduated second week in june or whatever so uh the sunday before graduation which was typically the thursday after that we had a baccalaureate service we all got together in the gym Everybody had their caps and gowns. I think they just, we we just wore gowns though. You know, and nobody was decked out in all the awards and things like that. I mean, now you see kids walking around that they look like they're going to battle, you know, with all these different, (laughs) these different stoles and banners and medals and whatever. All they need is a bayonet, you know, and a musket or something like that. It just seems like they're going off to war. But schools don't have baccalaureate services anymore. The baccalaureate service was a religious service where you went to school, you put on your robe and the students sat there and listened to a variety of uh, well wisdom uh, from, you know, the, the old joke, a priest, a rabbi and a uh, pastor walk into a, you know. Uh, that's what we had. We had a guy from the local synagogue, a Catholic priest. Uh, there was a pretty good sized uh, evangelical church, a Presbyterian church right down the street from us. And um, they would come and share pearls of wisdom with us. And we'd sit there and, you know, if you were a Christian and you heard the Catholic priest going, oh, yeah, that's the, my, my friend goes to that church or whatever. Uh, if the rabbi got up there, he'd say, yeah, it's a rabbi. I never once felt a compulsion to convert to Judaism or Catholicism after hearing the baccalaureate. And I sat through several of them because when you're in the music program, you have to play and you know sing or do whatever at these things. Never once. Now, the left, though, has a very interesting way of approaching this type of stuff. The presence of a pastor on campus for a couple hours a day, a couple hours a week. Maybe it's a volunteer pastor, or maybe the school district says, we want to have someone here to provide comfort. The automatic assumption of the left is that that pastor is here to convert kids to Christianity, to force their religious beliefs on them. And many of these same leftists are people who would say, but drag queen story hours just fine. No one's trying to force anything upon these kids. It's just to give the kids a chance to experience what the transgender and LGBTQ and drag queen community has to offer and to not be afraid of them. So let's review. Progressive values say that a drag queen bumping and grinding in a school public library, running his leg up against some kid, documented story, Soliciting tips with parents cheering wildly or not allowed in because we don't want the parents to know what's going on. That's perfectly fine to progressives to expand the mind and the world of the children. But the local youth pastor, Pastor Shane or whatever, says, Hey, dude, what's going on? Youth pastor is on campus and just his very presence with a Bible, oh no, dum-dum-dum, all of a sudden there's proselytizing and forcing uh, the, the, this religious belief, and the religious rights belief system, it's horrible. It's I just wanna make sure I understand because that's in essence what the Texas Freedom Network is saying about the legislation that would allow the school district to decide whether or not they wanna have a chaplain or a rabbi or an imam or whoever they want to provide spiritual counseling. And whether or not that person would be a volunteer or paid staff. So there seems to be a certain measure of hypocrisy coming from the left in complaining about this bill. But let me tell you another reason why we in the body of Christ should tread cautiously in an area like this. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and glad to have you along. It is good news, I believe, honestly, overall good news, that Texas House of Representatives passed Senate Bill 763. You know how that works. The, if it's Senate Bill 763, that means it originated in the Senate. Then it goes to the House in the or, or the Assembly or whatever your two chambers are in the state. Uh, There's a Republican majority in the Texas House of Representatives. They passed their version of Senate Bill 763. Uh, The vote was 89 in favor, 58 against, and that was pretty much a party line vote. All the legislation says is that a school district or open enrollment charter school may employ or accept as a volunteer a chaplain. To provide support services and programs for students as assigned by the board of trustees of the district or the governing body of the school. And then a chaplain employed or volunteering under this chapter would not be required to be certified by the state board or for educator certification. Something tells me that if there was a certification process like there would be in the People's Republic of California, most public education systems would be okay with that person being someone who actually had a teaching license or a teaching credential. Now, individual here's what I love about this. Number one, of course, I love the idea of having a chaplain on campus. Um, I think giving kids access to that is huge. I also love the fact, too, that it's the districts who get to choose whether or not they have a chaplain. And then they get to decide whether or not that's going to be a volunteer position or a paid position. And if you are a pastor of a church in that area, by golly, you want to be, volunteer? Paid doesn't matter. Let's let's get involved in this and let's help out. A good Christian witness is going to be there to help the students and help provide the kind of comfort and counsel they need. Now, here's where we have to be careful. People's Republic of California has all sorts of laws and more and more states have laws that are limiting the access that adults can have to students in this area especially as it pertains to you know transgender and LGBTQ counseling and things of that nature. This could open up a whole floodgate of lawsuits that churches could get attached to. So be, you know, tread cautiously in that regard. But also understand too that just because the left is saying, we don't trust these pastors because they're not, trust, make sure your pastors are trustworthy. Too many uh, challenges with clergy abuse, too many stories. I was reading about Carl Lentz and the Hillsong situation. And now he's saying, well, I was sexually assaulted as a child and that's why I, I sexually assaulted women in my position in pastoral ministry. I mean, we have to be way beyond reproach on this brothers and sisters. If we wanna be in a position to share and reinforce the good news, with students in public schools and charter schools, Texas being one of the first states to actually allow for this type of uh, ministry, as we would call it. We have to make sure we're beyond reproach, number one. Number two, we have to be, make sure that the chaplains and pastors that are coming in really do hold to a biblical worldview. George Barna's research indicates that around 2% of Americans who profess faith in Christ actually hold a true biblical worldview. The last thing the church wants is someone misrepresenting our Lord and Savior by being that young guy or young girl who's on a high school campus or a middle school campus, and next thing you know, they get entangled in sexual sin. But be praying for legislators in the state of Texas and that other states might look at this and follow. This is the world we're living in, where there are school shootings on the rise, and yet There's a concern that if we have an armed guard on a school campus, that might be dangerous. There are people who are desperate for answers in a world where there's more hate and more violence spreading by the minute, and yet the people who truly have answers by faith in Jesus Christ are being seen as the bad guys. They're being presented as the problem rather than the solution. Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. When I see what's happening in the world right now, when we see, we pray, Father, that we would be more diligent as adults to protect the innocence of the children, just as you shared in Mark 9. We don't want to see millstones around the necks of people being tossed into oceans because of their mistreatment of children. Help us to stand in the gap and to preach the true and living Christ, crucified, resurrected, and sanctified. In Jesus' name, amen. That is good news, and that's the bottom line.